over the next couple months, we have an incredible sponsor that I'm going to keep telling you about. It's Yukon River Knives. Yukon River Knives exists to support missions work in rural Alaska by providing outdoor enthusiasts with premium quality knives. A portion of every purchase goes to helping advance the gospel in rural villages in Alaska. Featuring both handmade and high-quality production knives, Yukon River Knives has curated some of the finest and most useful knives in the market. Go check out their products at yukonriverknives.com and enter Shepherd's Crook at purchase for a coupon code and a 15% discount. As you guys know, in the past, I've worked with Buck Knives. Now, I love Buck Knives, but there's a difference with a knife like that, a mass-produced knife, and the Yukon River Knives. When I think about Yukon River Knives, I'm thinking about a knife that I can give down as a legacy piece to one of my grandsons, and I'm looking forward to that. Also, their small game knife is going to be my primary knife that I use for whitetail season this year and for my boar hunting trip in the early spring. Their knives feel great in the hand, and you can just tell looking at it and the feel of it that it's a well-balanced, great knife with a sharp edge, and it's going to last for a lifetime, and not just my lifetime, but multiple lifetimes. Yes, you can go buy another stock knife, or you can check out what Yukon River is doing and get you a nice, quality, premium knife that you're going to be able to hand down to your grandkids. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. I'm excited today to talk to you about something that I've been, it's really just been bubbling up for a while. And I've been thinking about this and wanting to do a show on this. In fact, I've touched on this in the past, but I wanted to get in more detail and wanted to get some quotes that are going to be hopefully helpful as I really set the stage for what I want to talk about. But why don't we go ahead and pray. We're going to talk about how legalistic Christians are not Pharisees and the common bottom shelf exegesis and application that comes with saying legalistic Christians are Pharisees. And we just really want to look at that in the scriptures and say, who are the Pharisees today? And I think too often... I mean, regularly, from young preachers to even good, old, seasoned men make this mistake, and it's slanderous to brothers and sisters in Christ, and I think it does a lot of damage. And I'm going to show you a couple examples of that here in just a second. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we need your help. We need guidance. We always do, and we trust that you're going to help us today. And Lord, as we think through these issues, and we think through some of the things that some pastors that have a lot of notoriety have said that have really permeated these ideas as we look at the pharisees in matthew 23 or as we think about them as a whole in the gospels and and then look up to the world today help us to not make the mistake of slandering christian brothers and sisters and help us to make connections that are faithful to your word and uh, holy spirit help us to shepherd your people well and we love you and we thank you it's in jesus name we pray amen all right legalistic christians are not pharisees that's the premise we're going to look at something that Tim Keller has said, something that J.D. Greer has said, and as I say this, you're going to just hear it all over the place, and it's going to just ring a bell for things that you've probably preached before and said before. We've all gone into Matthew 23 before and got angry at, uh, you know, legalistic Christians because we thought immediately Pharisees are just legalistic Christians. That's what, that's what they are. And certainly, uh, a, a modern-day quote-unquote Pharisee would be an apostate Christian or some like a, a liberal, liberal so-called uh, Christian that is claiming to believe truths about the scriptures but is not believing anything that God has to say. Certainly there are some applications that can be made about that. But I think all too often 
um, Christians are slandered because they're either legalistic or they're just people who have grown up in the church. They became Christians at a young age and they believe what historic Christians have believed. And because they're not up with the times, they are now labeled, uh, you know, pharisaical. I remember reading a book by Andy Stanley a few years ago called Deep and Wide, and it had been getting traction. It's about 10 years ago. In fact, I think the number one review, negative review on Deep and Wide still on Amazon is my review from from years ago. And one of the things that rec- I recognized is reading reading through that book is that Andy Stanley loathes what he calls church people. And these are Christians. These are Christian people who are the kind of Christian people that were at his father's church, Charles Stanley's church, and the kind of people that Andy Stanley grew up around. He loathes them, and it just comes through in that book and other other teachings and, and things that he's written so clearly that he despises what he calls church people. And it's the same group of people that we see Tim Keller or J.D. Greer talk about when they talk about religious people or pharisaical people. And I really want you to consider this. It's very important. It even has implications for what we do on Sunday mornings and why we do it. And also, it has implications to do with, with evangelism and other passages about the world. And uh, enmity with the with friendship with the world is enmity with God. And this is really critical that we nail this down. And I think it's an all-too-common mistake that's just accepted, basically, as, as evangelical orthodoxy today, that legalistic Christians are Pharisees. That's what they are. And you don't want to be a Pharisee, for goodness sake. But for instance, Tim Keller, this is a quote or a tweet from a while back. I believe this was from from this year, actually. And here's what he said. Jesus' teachings consistently attracted irreligious people while offending Bible-believing religious people of his day. Now, let's just stop at that and then evaluate the rest of the tweet here in just a second. Just from this part so far, what we should be thinking then is irreligious people should love what Jesus has to say even though Jesus said that the world hated him and the world's going to hate you and the world persecuted him, the world's going to persecute you. Even though literally everyone was chanting, crucify him, religious leaders and those in the, in the city streets, even though there was literally only 120 people after the fact that were praying um, after his resurrection, literally they were chanting, crucify him. Even these irreligious people who were there after Jesus fed the 5,000 in John chapter 6, and then by the end of John chapter 6, there's 12 people left. Okay, this is what we have to keep in mind here. So irreligious people are constantly being attracted to Jesus. Well, the Bible-believing religious people, so this is in our mind what we're doing. Okay, people in Christian churches all across this country who believe the Bible and love the Bible are regularly offended by Jesus. Okay, he goes on. However, our churches do not... Do not do the same thing, effect, have the same effect. Um, excuse me. Okay. Uh, however, our churches do not have the same effect, which can only mean one thing. Our preaching and our practices are not declaring the same message that Jesus did. This thing goes like wildfire when Tim Keller tweets something like this. And this is the exact same thing. You've preached this kind of thing before. You've heard this kind of thing before that, oh my goodness, if Jesus was here today, he would not be hanging out in church buildings. He'd be down on the city streets hanging out with the homeless people. And so, I mean, what what are Christians supposed to do when they hear things like that? You know, what what are Christians like, oh my goodness, I guess I shouldn't be a Bible-believing Christian. I need to be more irreligious for Jesus to like me. (laughs) I need to, to not love the Bible so much for Jesus to like me. Okay, let me just clarify real quick the the lie in this. Okay, Jesus is here. He is present. And he's hanging out with his people. He loves his people. 
He loves his bride. He died for his bride. In fact, those on the, on the corners and those who mock him and ridicule him and will not come to him, uh, are, his wrath is upon them. <laughs> I mean, th- this is uh, pretty obvious here uh, that friendship with the world is enmity with God. That Jesus is, he loves his bride. He loves the church. And for far too long, it's become this popular thing. And I think it's a part of a big overall agenda that it, it just uh, unknowingly is that Christians are just thrown under the bus continu- continually. Christians are slandered in tweets like this, in messages like this, because it brings the audience to the place of thinking, like, Tim, you're saying that all the Christians are the religious people that Jesus didn't want to have anything to do with, and <clears throat> all these all these non-Christian, irreligious people out here, as if they are irreligious, are the ones that Jesus, you know, that that that, <clears throat> that should be flocking, that the, the world should be flocking to the church. Okay, do, do you see how this is going? Okay, this is the big deal about J.D. Greer a couple years ago as well. Okay, J.D. Greer says this, The Bible whispers when it comes to sexual sin and shouts about materialism and religious pride. Okay, is that true in some sense? Well, for one, it's not true that God only whispers about sexual sin. He shouts about sexual sin. In fact, all sin is punishable by death. And so, I mean, hell is a pretty loud shout. But when we hear religious people or religious pride, what J.D. Greer is pointing to is conservative evangelical Christians in America. And everybody knows that when he's saying that. Everybody knows that he's, he's talking about Bible Belt Christians. That's what he's doing. And everyone knows it. And that's what Dr. Ray Ortland said explicitly about loathing this, this uh, uh, Bible Belt Christianity. Now, if it's false converts, if there are, if there are uh, you, know, cr- you know, former Christians that have apostatized, that's one thing, but you should still, I mean, treat them as a non-tax collector or sinner. You should still be pleading that they would come and return to Christ. Okay, you, you get the point. Now, me, years ago, I'm preaching through Matthew 23. I just heard Driscoll preach a Desiring God uh, conference on Matthew 23. And I really, at this Thanksgiving Day service, back in 2008, probably, or 2009, in Heron, Illinois, thought I was really going to tear into these Christians. And so I, I preached Matthew 23 as if every one of them was a Pharisee in the room. I, I looked at my brothers and sisters in Christ, those that I should be, you know, c- coming to the table with in a local assembly, and uh, those that I should be joining in arms with to proclaim the gospel in our city and unified with because of the blood of Christ. And I saw them as the enemy. I mean, that's what this kind of thing does. I saw them as being these religious you know, people, because I saw them as Pharisees, Christian brothers and sisters. Now, okay, you you know what I'm talking about, right? You've you've talked about this again. I said it's bottom shelf. This is low hanging fruit kind of stuff. It's really easy to you know look at the scriptures and not do the work to wrestle through. Okay, what is the comparison today? Who are the Pharisees of the day? And I want to give you four or five examples of, of who I think is, is Pharisaical today. Sorry, I had to get a drink of coffee there. And I think this will help us and help you as you move forward and navigate this to not loathe Christians who may be legalistic. I mean, goodness sakes, for, for, like, haven't you been legalistic before? And yet in that moment, the great thing about the imputation of righteousness, the great thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ and justification is that even when I struggle with idolatry, even when I sin with religious pride, I'm a forgiven man. And when my brothers and sisters struggle with religious pride, um, they're not a Pharisee. They need to be reminded of the truth of the gospel and in gratefulness walk away from that religious pride. They need to hear the doctrines of grace, for goodness sake. They need to hear about the finished work of Christ. And then they need to stop being so religiously uh, prideful. But 
I don't want to call them a Pharisee. You know, I don't want to see them as villains in the story. So let's just think about this. Now, we know that the Pharisees neglected the word of God for tradition's sake. That's why they, instead of honoring their father and mother, this is recorded in the Gospels, instead of honoring their father and mother, they gave what should have been there for their father and mother away as if they are extremely you know, holy and righteous, even though the scriptures required them to honor their father and mother. And so they're giving all this money away for the sake of tradition. Now, who is doing things like that today, valuing tradition more than the word of God? Now, I guess it is true that there are some, you know, Christian people and brothers and sisters that are doing that. But make no mistake, these Pharisees hated Jesus. They didn't love Jesus. They were not, quote unquote, Christians. They crucified the Lord. They hated him. Who are the people that want to crucify Jesus today? It's not it's not the Bible Belt South. It's not the religious people. In the South. It's the world. It's those today that literally loathe the Christian message. They loathe the scriptures. Who, who is it that puts tradition above the truth? Well, I mean, the Catholic Church would be one. I mean, if anybody's pharisaical, it's not my Protestant brothers and sisters. It's the Catholic Church that elevates tradition above the scriptures all the time. Literally everything they do. It's, it's almost always. I mean, it, it, this is what church history is. When you judge church history, uh, or judge the scriptures through the lenses of church history rather than judging the church history through the lenses of scripture. Or when you believe that the, the church regulates the scriptures rather than the scriptures regulating the church. That's literally the, the pharisaical way. Okay, I mean, that, that's the Catholic church. What about this? Politicians who lie, who say that they love God. They say that they're Christians. They quote Bible verses when it's meaningful to them. And they literally hate Jesus. They hate what he teaches. They hate what he teaches about marriage. They hate what he teaches about life and death. They hate what he teaches about the kingdom. I mean, that's that's what most politicians, especially the left, on the left, most politicians, like Democrats, hate Jesus. They hate Christianity. And that's just across that's across the board. They want to murder children. They don't have any understanding of what marriage is, and they despise and repudiate the Christian ethic. That's not Bible-believing Christians. That's people who have a form of godliness but deny its power. They think they are in the right. They think they know about justice. They're always talking about biblical terms, and yet they loathe and hate those that are actually Christians. What about this? Uh, false converts. That would be, false converts would be Pharisees. They would be those who claim to follow God but are not actually following the Lord. They're enemies within, within our midst. They are not actually of us, but they name the name of Jesus. That would be a fair assessment of a religious person or that would be a fair assessment of what a Pharisee is. Um, certainly, those who abandon the faith are those that would be Pharisees because they're rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting the truth. Okay, so so here's the deal. Anybody who believes the right gospel, but then after believing the right gospel struggles with justification by grace through faith, works-based righteousness, this is the Christian family. We all at some point or another struggle with works-based righteousness. That is not pharisaical. That doesn't make somebody a Pharisee. 
And when you hear people like um, Tim Keller in this instance, or J.D. Greer in that instance, or me years ago preaching, or somebody like Andy Stanley, who is completely, I mean, he's if he's not a false teacher at this point, I don't know who is. But as you as you think through that, okay, they're, they are painting with broad strokes and, and explicitly wanting Christians, especially people that are like turning on Christian radio and just regular run-of-the-mill brother and sister Christ, uh, Christian who believe in the gospel of Jesus and who want to obey him and want to love him, but, you know, are, you know, in the Christian South or something like that. And we hear quotes and tweets like this, and we are to think like, oh, they're Pharisees. There's the, they're, they're, they're the enemy. And Jesus wouldn't hang out with them at all. Jesus would be on the street corner. He'd be at the abortion clinic or he would, <clears throat> meaning like loving the women, he would not be out there proclaiming the gospel. He would be out there, you know, being kind to the trans community and all this kind of stuff. And these sinners would just love and, and flock to him as if that's what they did in the scriptures. They flocked to him until he spoke. <laughs> and then they had to either leave their life of sin or, or you know, uh, rage against him. And that's what you see. 5,000 come to hear him. He starts to speak. And then what do they do? They all leave. John chapter 8, there's a bunch of people who turn to him because they say they believe in him. And at the end, they all turn away. He calls them a brood of vipers. I mean, <laughs> for goodness sake, we have got to stop with this low-hanging fruit, low, this low-ball exegesis, bottom-shelf stuff of turning to Christian brothers and calling them religious Pharisees. That is not faithful and it's not loving, it's not Christ-like, and we've got to recognize that we can't do what in this in this past, like in these quotes, what they're trying to do is turn evangelism into friendship with the world. We can't be friends with the world. That's not how evangelism works. We proclaim the law and the gospel. We don't get buddy-buddy with non-Christians. Uh, I, I think it was uh, R.C. Sproul, Sproul Jr. said, um, oh, Jesus was always hanging out with, uh, he was friends with sinners, so we should be friends with sinners. And he's like, I think you missed the point of who you are in the story. Okay, you're not Jesus, you're the sinner. <laughs> you're the sinner. And now, as Christians, we love each other. We're the family of God. We take care of one another. We use our gifts with one another. We evangelize the world, calling them to come be a part of the body of Christ. And that body of Christ is not a group of religious phonies. We're the ones that love Jesus, and we're the ones that Jesus meets with day in and day out, week in and week out, as we come to the table and as we worship the Lord Jesus in baptism through singing, through receiving the word, and loving the word. It's not wrong to be a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christian. Okay. I hope that's been helpful. Now, I guess a caveat at the end, not everything that Tim Keller has said has is, is been wrong. I do think he's a Christian brother. I think he's erred in his third way in a massive degree, and yet I think there's grace for Christian brothers like that, even though I think he's been in massive error in a lot of different ways. Um, and then, and I think that's really bubbled to the surface. I've, I've learned a lot from Tim Keller in the past, but I think that's really bubbled to the surface in the last few years, some, some of his errors. And with J.D. Greer, J.D. Greer is just, he wants to be cool, man. I mean, come on. And uh, I think he, I mean, I want to accept his confession, and uh, and yet I think he's done massive damage in the Southern Baptist Convention. And yet, I want to be gracious, if he's my brother, I want to be uh, loving towards him and accept his confession. And, uh, you know, um, I'm not going to call him a Pharisee, because he's a brother. He may be erred in many ways, and he is, but he's still a brother. Uh, me, years ago, uh, when I was preaching, I just needed fatherly correction. I just needed care. I didn't. I didn't know. I thought that was, you know, you know, Christians are Pharisees, and that's what they needed to hear. And I was just prideful and arrogant. So I want to challenge you: don't turn to Matthew twenty-three and then look to your congregation and say, "Oh, there's a bunch of Pharisees." <laughs> don't do that to them. Anyways, I hope you're doing great. 
Go check out Yukon River Knives. Use that discount code Shepherd's Crook. I'll put that in the show notes, and I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much for listening to the Shepherd's Crook podcast. For more information, you can go to theshepherdscrook.co.